Hey, David, thanks for coming on and talking with me today. Well, you know, cool. <laughs> no, 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 I've got, thank you for, thank you, thank you for inviting me. Uh, before you hit record, anyone who's watching this or listening to this, we, uh, I, I say we, I uh, regaled Jake with stories of dinosaur uh, dung, piles of dinosaur dookie that I got to uh, fossilized versions that I got to play with. I, I, I went to NASA last week as well as that. Jake, I can't believe I was telling you all this and I didn't, I just, this is a, a dual uh, faux pas. I should have told you about this when I was telling you about the dinosaur uh, shit, but I didn't. And I realizing I could have brought this with me to NASA and did not. And I am a fool. Uh, on my desk, I keep on my desk a space pen. Uh, this is the, 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 the famous space pen that will work underwater. It will work in zero G. It was designed. Uh, there's a, the, the story about the space pen is not, is, 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 there's a lot, it's very fiction. There's a lot of fiction in there about what really happened. Uh, no, the U S government didn't spend millions of dollars to design this. Uh, no, the Russians did not make a pencil. No, no, that's true. Uh, plus you're not supposed to use pencils in space because the graphite uh, makes little flex and that can get on your, uh, electronics. Everybody uses a pen and it is true that the, uh, Russians during the space race, they just used like a cheapo pen. So did we, but then some company in the United States, some dude was like, I'm going to make the space pen. And so this is what it is. And yes, it is a thing that exists and you could buy it from Fisher space pens. And I recommend it today. I don't, I get no money for this, but here's why I like it. Uh, it's got a button on the side, right? So this is what makes it cool. Uh, God, I can't, I can't believe I did not take this to NASA. This makes me feel so the, retroactively foolish. There's probably a German word for that. I, I, I'm like, I know there's a French word for it, the, the esprit d'escalade, the spirit of the staircase where you, when you're leaving a party and you're like, oh, I should have told that dude this, but like you remember a fight you were in or something and you should have. So this, but I'm feeling the German version of it, whatever that is. This is the, uh, so this is a space pen. Here's what I love about it. You're like, tick -a -tick -a -tick. Mm -hmm. yeah. right. That is so cool. <laughs> Wait, what is to, it? What is it? It's a, there's a button on the side that, that puts the, uh, the roller back in, in place. Like it retracts the pin. Uh -huh. Right. So, but there's something that every time you do that, if I'm like, right. So Jake Warner got it. The, the, <laughs> There's something about putting the pin back in this position and pressing the side button that makes anything you just did seem like it was official and cool and that you were ready for action. You're like a like, CIA agent? Yes. Yeah, like, 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 the, like Mission Impossible is about to happen <laughs> after that. So anyway, I should have That's brought that. Very... Do, hey. do you use that often? Like, is do that I, just I actually don't. Around? It's, I have it sitting there because I love it, but my pin of choice is always the... Uh, the um, Number 0. 0.07 from the uh, Bic company. The I have a thousand of these. I have them in red. The Pilot G2, best pin on earth. Uh, I have a bunch of black ones and a bunch of red ones and a bunch of blue ones. Because if people want me to sign, you are not so smart. I always use a red pin. If people want me to sign, how mine's change, I always use a blue pin. And then my just so like contrast writing is black. Or hmm? actually, actually not not contrast because it matches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause it matches and it just yeah. like, I get to be an eccentric author person for a second and they're like, Oh, this guy's weird. And so, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. So, so, uh, how minds change is how I came across your work. Um, 
that that book you're talking about how we form belief and persuasion and things like that what what got you interested in that topic and led you towards writing that book well i was doing you were not so smart for a long time uh, yet uh as a podcast and it had been a blog and then it became a podcast then it became a book and then it became a podcast and i it became sort of the the star in my uh the sun in my solar system the uh it, a lot of what i do is is orbits around the podcast because with the podcast after a certain point i had a big enough audience and i started such a long time ago i started that podcast almost 13 years ago i was one of the like first eight podcasters and <laughs> seriously it's, it's almost like that when i started my yeah. podcast i i was trying to figure out what kind of equipment to get uh and i emailed mark Marin because he had the number one podcast in the world at the time and it's still up there like it's still one of the biggest podcasts in the world and uh, the man's interviewed like barack obama you know he's a major podcaster and his podcast was wtf and I just emailed him and said, hey, what kind of uh, stuff, what should I get if I wanted to start a podcast? That day, that day, before the afternoon, I got an email back from Mark Marin with a bulleted hyperlink list of stuff from Amazon to get. And then he told me, hey, good luck. I hope you enjoy this podcasting thing. That's how small podcasting was back then. I, I could email the top podcaster that day. He sent me back some Amazon links. That's, That's wild. wild. So... Uh, and I bought some of that stuff and I shouldn't, some of it, I should not have bought. Like the microphone was like a $900 sure, super made to record the red hot chili peppers kind of microphone. And it, it, it I, I tried to hook it up and I needed all sorts of equipment and everything to make it work. Um, it, it was a list for someone who had, uh, a lot more resources and, and <laughs> than I had at the time. Um, so that is a thing I've been doing for a long time. And every uh, two weeks I have a scientist on the show or someone in the world who's doing something interesting in the world of the psychology of reasoning, decision-making and judgment and uh, mostly motivated reasoning, uh, the science of uh, how we delude ourselves and uh, how we try to get through the, how we are unaware that we're the uh, unreliable narrator in our lives, the introspection illusion and things like that. And I was, so every once in a while I get invited to speak somewhere and I was invited to a lecture and this young woman came up to me afterward and said, Hey, how do I get my dad? My dad's fallen into a conspiracy theory community. How do you get somebody out of something like that? And I told her flippantly, a little flippantly, uh, you can't. And the second the words came out of me, I felt like, Oh, you, you suck. Like David, me, David, I suck. I, I shouldn't have said that. I don't even know if that's completely true. I know I had, was, had read and, and listened to a lot of rational, skeptical, skeptic, uh, human, humanist material that oftentimes, whether it was some of, the, some of the titans of public intellectual life had spoken about this. And some of them were very pessimistic. And they would say, like, you can't reason the person out of a position they didn't reason themselves into. And I thought that that seemed true. And I told this person who was looking at me as a person of authority at the time, because I had risen through and my voice was now up on stage that you couldn't do this. And I didn't like it. I, I, I actually was skeptical of my own self and I didn't like being pessimistic in that way either. And I thought this is something I should look into. And then at the same time, same sex marriage in the United States, the norms and attitudes about it flipped 
very quickly. So, uh, and I had someone come on the podcast, a political scientist who told me that it was the fastest change in public opinion ever recorded that then they've only been recording it since like the 1930s, but the still uh, like of all the things that had happened, all the, the major shifts in society, this one was the fastest and you could look at it on a graph. It was like 19, um, 2000, around 2012 was when the flip happened, but it was like uh 60 percent of the United States was opposed to same sex marriage being legal. And which is shocking right now to imagine that that's how this country felt. But that was in, we're talking early 2000s. Like we're talking uh, like, uh, like Limp Biscuit is on the radio and people don't think that same-sex marriage should be legal in this country. That blows my mind that that was so recently. And over the course of about a decade, it was really about 13 years, it went from 60% opposed to 60% in favor. And I looked at this, on a graph and I couldn't uh, get over how wild it was to imagine that a decade is so short. I mean, it's already been five years since 2019. You know what I mean, so the, if you took all these people and you put them in a time machine and had them go back 10 years, they wouldn't really not- be noticeably different except in the fact that they completely flipped on this issue, you know, and I wanted to, I was like, what, what would they argue with themselves? If they went back 10 years ago. Would they argue with themselves the same way people argue about wedge issues today? Also, what happened between those two points in their yeah. brains at the level of neurons? Like what happens when a person changes their mind and why didn't they change their mind before this? What was the trigger? So this became a bevy of questions and I just started bringing people on the podcast. And the more I brought people on the podcast, the more it started to be- get bigger and bigger. And I started getting surrounded by materials like this is a book. This is definitely a book. And I went and visited the people who do deep canvassing in California, in Los Angeles and beyond, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Uh, I had read about them in the New York Times, and I embedded with them for a week, and it was just clear. I initially thought it would be a cool podcast to add the rest of everything, but I was like, this is just a book. This is just 100% a book, because this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. These people are going door to door for people that don't know. Deep Cam, we can talk more about it in a minute, but in the origin story of the book, they go. They knock on a person's door who they're pretty sure, based off polling data, is going to be opposed to some wedge issue that they want to discuss. Uh, at, at the time, they started same-sex marriage, but then they've gone to talk about transgender bathroom rights and abortion rights and all sorts of stuff. And they knock on their door and they say, "Hey, how do you do? You mind? You want to talk about this? How do you feel about this?" They say how they feel about it, and they're like, "Would you mind having a conversation with me?" And over the course of 20 minutes, they have a very high success rate of flipping that person's opinion on that issue. And social scientists study them because they've done, when I visited them, they had done 17,000, they had 17,000 conversations uh, and they A-B tested them. So they threw away what didn't work. They kept what did. They recorded everything. And then they eventually irised in on this very powerful rhetorical technique. That not, and so I went and visited them many times and trained in it and went door to door with them. And from there, I was like, okay. There's a book. We're going to go write a book about this. So that's how the book started. So they developed this technique of like just digging deeper into people's opinions and like getting them to think about things in ways that they hadn't thought about before or like like beyond like the surface level claim in the beginning. Well, it's kind of fun to when you start asking because I, 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 this is this is a fun part of the book. And I talk about this. I love the, I, I love that you ask it this way, because like when you ask them, hey, how does this work? They're like, I don't know. <laughs> That was very yeah. frustrating in the beginning because they're like, we're not scientists. We just do it. The, we, we, we A-B tested it and this works. And it was 
weird to me. I was like, you don't want to know why it works? Like, like we want it, we don't, we do, but I, I could never tell you why this is working. I don't know when I first, when I was me, the time I was talking to them, they weren't, they just knew it worked. They didn't know why they actually called it. They referred to it. Like, uh, if you, before we knew the chemical makeup of aspirin, there was a, a certain kind of tree bark that has that molecule in it that you could use and you could take it and it would make you not feel so bad. And the science to why that worked was a thousand years away. The, that's how they felt about discovering a rhetorical technique that worked more often than not. They didn't have any idea what was going on there. And a lot of their assumptions about what was going on there were, were not correct, which I thought was really neat. Like anytime you try to make sense of something post hoc, you might, you're going to like make sense of it the best you can. And they had a lot of, they were incorrect about a lot of it. Um, the first scientists who studied them were incorrect about a lot of it. Their, their hypotheses were all way off base. There are these assumptions that they're, it's all about the introspection or it's all about um, modeling, like that they're, they're spending time with an LGBTQ person and they're getting their story. It's all about sharing their story. It's all about listening to someone. So there's so many different possible active ingredients in this. And uh, what I love about it more than anything, though, is I visited people who did motivational interviewing in the therapeutic domain. I visited people who do something called street epistemology out in uh, Texas. I found people who do something called smart politics up uh, in San Francisco. I found uh, all sorts of groups, braver angels and uh, bridging organizations and people who do this in the, in uh, therapeutic practices. And what I found absolutely astonishing was most of these organizations or institutions or scientists had never met each other. They weren't even aware of each other. And if they weren't, academics, they had no idea that there was any scientific literature that supported what they were doing. They, and they independently all came up with something that looks pretty much the same. It, it, it's, it's, if it's in steps, the steps are pretty much the same steps. They're pretty much in the same order. And I started to see it like the way I've, I've, I tried to make sense of this to, to the, to a reader and to, a, to anyone who's like, wasn't thinking about this eight hours a day, all day. Um, to me, it was like, if you show a kid the airplane from um, Kitty Hawk, the first quote unquote airplane, the one that we usually refer to as the first airplane, if you showed a today, like a 2000, we're recording this in 2023 at the very tail end. If you show a eight year old in 2023, that picture of that thing, and you ask them, what is it? They'd say that's an airplane. And that's because airplanes look like airplanes, which is, <laughs> but why do airplanes look like airplanes? Because they are trying to overcome certain challenges, certain obstacles to flying in a thing that is uh, physical and three-dimensional that you made out of stuff that was laying around. Like it took a long time for human beings to do that. And there are all sorts of things you have to overcome. Material science, gravity, wind, uh, the weight of this thing versus it's, uh, uh, aerodynamics. You have to have aerodynamics. You have to have something that can produce energy that isn't so heavy that it ruins all the other stuff. There are all these things that, you, that are challenges you have to overcome. And if you overcome all of them at once, it takes a certain form on this planet. And if you have seen one before, you're like, oh, that's what that is. And what you're really seeing is a physical manifestation of overcoming a lot of challenges to achieve a certain goal. And these rhetorical techniques, that's what they started to seem like to me. 
they all kind of seem like they have the same form because they're all trying to overcome certain challenges when it, when you're engaging in an attempt to persuade another person or have them entertain a different perspective. And some of those things are very, they're also forms of resistance, like reactance. So we can talk about these, but like reactance, identity, in-group, out-group status, uh, 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 reputation, the, uh, the, the strength of a certainty in a prior, the uh, the degree of extremity of an attitude, how valenced it might be, how integrated into the person's concept of their own uh, place in society is their value set. These are all things that the rhetorical technique has to has to deal with. But then also practically in the 101, they have to trust you as a social primate. Like, are you are you an ally? Are you an enemy? Are you potentially up to something? Are you trying to scam me? Are you trying to hurt me? Are you trying to mess with me? Are you trying to affect my agency? There are, turns out there are a lot of things you have to overcome if you want this thing to fly. And that is how these rhetorical techniques work. And that's why they take on a certain format. And to sort of bring that together, to to, uh, to, to pseudo sum up what I'm, what I'm saying is that uh, people get frustrated and start to assume that you can't do this, especially if you have like loved ones who seem to have fallen into a conspiracy theory or you are having some sort of political argument with someone or any argument over anything on the internet. Like if you're discussing uh, Zack Snyder movies on Reddit, which still blows my mind that there are people that uh, are Zack Snyder super fans. Like I just said that out loud. And I honestly don't know who that is. Like I, I learned <laughs> about this recently. Uh, but, and, uh, but here's the thing, Jake, I just said that out loud and you just said something out loud about Zack Snyder. And I assure you that even though we're talking about all these high-minded psychological concepts right now, there's go the first comment most likely or in probably 25% of comments in any comment system that will be attached to this piece of content that we're creating will be about that. The fact that we said something about Zack Snyder and, and that's important. That's important. That is a huge data point that is worth understanding about human beings. Why would that be so? And the reason that's so is because someone has integrated that into their identity. And my opinion about Zack Snyder uh, reveals something about who I am. And if it suggests that who I am is a is bad, then I need to talk to you about this. I need to get this rearranged because that's very important to me that you don't think I'm bad and that I don't think I'm bad. And the Zack Snyder stuff is irrelevant to that discussion. It's just, it's just how we got, got there. So all of this has to be in it. And it turns out like uh, people often really do this poorly, as you may have noticed. I know I did it poorly for a long time. Uh, and you you keep failing at, at getting someone to see your way or, or or entertain something new. Or you keep failing to reach out to a flat earther. And, and you're like, I have all this evidence. Like, I know I haven't been to space, but there's a lot of evidence that suggests the earth is round. How am I failing in this discussion over and over again with this person? Like, what is... Clearly, they must be insane. Clearly, they must be stupid. Clearly, they must have been uh, cult programmed. There are all these ways you're trying to make sense of why you're failing. And it seems to me it's like trying to reach the moon with a ladder over and over again. And you can't, and you're like, ah, and it doesn't work. <laughs> and eventually you say, well, that's just unreachable. You can't get to the moon. It's just an unreachable object. But you're just using a technique that will never get you there. And that seems, that's what I started to understand. There's another way of doing this that's more likely to get you where you're trying to go.
there's my gigantic i think about this too much jake i think <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i think anybody who's tried to change anybody's mind about something resonates with that it could be kind of brutal especially if somebody seems like they're just clinging to something when you're trying to pick those battles how do you know like whether or not you should even engage because it seems like, oh, like it's, some, it's something that, that you would want to be very careful about this is you're i i have when you're promoting a book and, and we're uh, a good year and some change out now. So that, so I, I, this is the best part of a, of a book's life is about a year into its life is when it starts to actually find its audience. People who uh, bought it thinking it was one thing. A lot of people who got my book thought it was going to be how to win friends, how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> yeah. Part two, or they thought it was just going to be a guide to, to becoming a better salesman or something. Mm -hmm. uh, or, something like that uh but it started to find its audience after about a year which is really cool and i i'm and i'm happy that like of all of the gazillions of interviews i've done and, and i've done a lot of lectures i just came back from a 23 city lecture tour on this wow uh nobody's asked that question which is cool uh, that question is a great question i wish people would ask that question i typically have to force that into the conversation um yeah how do you know when you should engage with this person that's a great thing. You should ask yourself this before you start any one of these things. Like if you feel compelled to change someone's mind about something, have you stopped and spent a little bit of time with yourself asking why? Right. Why do I want to do that? Why is that important to me? If you know, the world of hostage negotiation, which is uh, I came to that very late in the process, blew my mind. Uh, Chris Voss is the big mm -hmm. proselytizer for hostage negotiation techniques. And he came to that the same way the uh, the deep canvassing and other people did. Like he he just was doing it, and then was like, "Why is what what works, what doesn't?" And then eventually started finding things that are supported by the science. Yeah. And the one of the things hostage negotiators are very uh, adamant about is like, "Hey, hey, hey, hold up, why? What is the big question?" <laughs> like that's what they're trying to get the other person on the other side to go to get to. Is there why? Why is this important to you? But you have to do that first. Every person I spoke to in the world of, of professional negotiation, uh, people who, and I, and today I get I do a little I do some consulting here and there, and I bring in uh, Misha Globerman, who is a, a conflict negotiation expert who trained in the same stuff as like Chris Voss and all these other hostage negotiation people. And it's really fun for us to like do our uh, sort of a peanut butter. He hates when I say this. I call it peanut butter and chocolate. Like I'm coming from the motivational interviewing psychology side. And he's coming from the uh, hardcore negotiation side of things. Why does he but hate that? Our, our, our VIN overlap is enormous because it turns out people work a certain way because brains work a certain way. Uh, so, yeah, you have to ask this question about your, to yourself. Why, why do I want to do this? Why is this issue important to me? And what would I consider a successful outcome in this conversation? What is my goal? And once you have that kind of in front of you, ask yourself, why is that my goal? So some things can be very benevolent and very honest. Like if I want to, if you are, if you think the, if you're a very prejudiced individual who has <clears throat> very harmful, negative, aggressive attitudes toward people of color, I can arrive at, uh, my goal is, is this, you know, I, w I want to change your mind. This is because what I want is for this to happen, blah, blah, blah. And then then you can ask yourself, well, why would I want such a thing? And it's very easy to get to a, a why in that. Like you can think about all sorts of things that were that are good for our species, good for people we love and care about in that regard. Uh, things that are uh, just 
and moral and ethical. When it comes to, say, you find yourself around somebody who thinks the earth is flat, uh, like, and you ask yourself, well, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to get into it with this person. Uh, and, and, and you have, so what is my goal here? Like, what would I consider a successful outcome in this conversation? Well, it would be the other person admitting they're wrong and the saying that the earth is round. Okay. Why do you want that? Why do you want to put that person to do that? And it's tough. Your first answer is going to be something like, because I want to, I want to live in a world where people believe true things. That's what uh, I was told by one of the street epistemology people. And that's great. But then I start actually applying these techniques to that individual. And I was like, well, why is, why is that an important thing? And eventually if you get in there, if you do that sort of guided introspection, that guided metacognition, you'll arrive at something really deep and fundamental to the fabric of your humanity, to the tapestry that is you of why it would be important to you that, and, and I remember talking to the street epistemology person, but we got down to their experiences growing up in a fundamentalist Christian household and how they were watching uh, laws get passed that were based off of that uh, religion's uh, tenets, not, not necessarily Christianity, but that very particular form of Christianity that is, was in the region that they grew up and how it was affecting people's lives they had not ever explored that being the driver of their of their desire to wish to change a person's mind on this particular scientific topic because it seems like uh, i just want people to believe true things i like science like let's let's critical thinking but there's always something deeper so you can do that alone you can do that with yourself consider that if you don't do that it's going to clog up the process when you're discussing the issue with the other person because you're going to attempt to take some sort of high ground that you're not actually on you're, you have a much you probably have a much more base reasons for this to be a discussion that you want to have with the other person and you will be a poor uh, you'll be a poor conversation partner because you're not authentic and honest with your intentions and if you wish the other person to be authentic and honest with their intentions and a lot of these techniques are based off getting a person there you have to start there as as much as you can, or at least entertain the fact, the possibility that in the conversation you will get there. And so it's good to ask yourself up front. And then, if you're talking about choosing your battles, like uh, my hero, my science communication hero, James Burke, he ends connections his his major series that I still rec I recommend everybody go to YouTube and find the original connections. And then uh, we uh, I helped produce the new connection series. I got, I have, I got no money for this. It was just, uh, I brought it to the people who could make it into a series. It just started on curiosity stream. That's neither here nor there. I'm just very caffeinated and on a tangent. Um, but in the original connections, he ends it by saying, uh, know that, um, there's that you have the capacity to understand anything as long as it's explained to you clearly enough and simply enough. And so with that knowledge, you should ask yourself, well, what do you want to understand? And he suggests, what is it in this world you'd like to see changed and start there? And I will grab that and keep going and say, okay, now ask yourself, what is it in this world you want to see changed and ask yourself why? And let's go as deep as we can there and choose your battles in that way. Uh, the, and know that this, this is, if you're going to engage in an argument with somebody on, on Reddit or something, it's going to take an afternoon to get them to where you want them to go. Uh, 
And you have to be open to the fact that maybe you'll go somewhere that you've never been before too. If you're going to do some sort of drive-by uh-uh with that person, you're probably going to get them to be, they're probably going to dig in deeper because of it. Because what they're, what they're defending is their identity in front of all the people watching the discussion. Same thing on Facebook, same, th- same thing on Twitter, same thing wherever you're at. TikTok, doesn't matter. So choose the battle you're willing to actually commit to and, and you're, you're willing to be empathetic with the other person to be a non-judgmental listener and, and have, take the time to actually have the conversation. Don't just run around going not on to people. Uh, I've seen, I was that person to, especially in like my, like twenties, it just makes you look like, like a, a massive asshole. And you're ending up causing more harm than good. You're just making every, you're, you're, every person you're doing that to is going to entrench a little deeper because of the way you're approaching the issue. So pick the battles you're willing to fight, I guess is what it comes down to. And then know why you're fighting them. Yeah. I, I think the, the context point is important. You, you talk about how face-to-face is so much better. Would, would you recommend in engaging in something like Reddit, Twitter, Facebook at all? Or would you do everything you could to just like get it, face-to-face or a FaceTime or a call or something like that. Do everything you can to get it face, but that's just not feasible. So sure. Uh, my answer is multi, uh, level here. Uh, I, if I, yeah, totally. If there's an issue that's important to you, like, uh, there are so many things, depending on when you're listening to this, there's going to be something that's risen to the top of public consciousness that you, that you're engaged with. And you, and you may be an expert on the topic or maybe something that you're deeply in, uh, involved with. Uh, it could be a social issue. It could be a science-based issue. It could be all sorts of things. But if it's important to you and it matters to you and it's something you, you, you feel strongly about and you want to change this in the world, yeah, engage people online. Do it. Uh, I, the, um, my good friend Monica Guzman, um, yesterday the trailer for Civil War came out. It's a movie that's going to next year that depicts the United States actually falling into civil war, like in the modern era. And it's an A24 movie. Alex Garland directed it. I'm like, oh, wow, this is an important moment in history for this movie to have risen to the top of our consciousness and for this much money to go behind it and these prestigious actors to be in it. This is going to be a big deal. And I saw the buzz all over the Internet starting to kick up, kick into high gear about it. And. I thought to myself, Monica, who uh, heads up the organization Braver Angels, which brings people on the left and right together to have conversations in public spaces. Uh, I went to one of their things in Gettysburg. That's how I got involved with it. And my first thought was, Monica should know about this. Uh, she should be telling her audience about this. So I texted Monica. I said, look at this. And then we had one of those like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is is happening. This is important. And, uh, and then she immediately went to her socials and started, and, and she engaged in that way. She was like, first of all, this freaks me out. S- secondly, though, this more important, this happens in a, in a artistic ex- ex- uh, expression than it is that it actually happens. And a lot of important things throughout human history have, have changed because we, t- we spoke about it in this, in this way before we got to, uh, before, so it encouraged public discourse. Um, so I, I clearly I'm, I'm very, I'm a huge advocate for it. Let's actually, if you're the person who should be, who's excited about this and interested in this, talk about it, but don't do it willy nilly. Like you should, uh, 
engage with people on whatever social media platform with a lot of um, uh, time and effort and knowledge of how to best engage other human beings in those formats and contexts. Don't, I think the time of just, uh, I have an opinion and everybody should hear it is, is done. So I'm, I'm, I'm very over it. I hope, I hope we yeah. all are. I think Twitter was fun. Uh, thankfully Elon Musk ruined it for everybody uh, (laughs) and and now, but it's kind of a phase. I think it was a phase we went through and we're, and we're in a different phase now. Uh, I don't need to know everybody's opinion about everything anymore. That's great. I, I I would prefer if you took a minute and like gave me a sub stack version of how you feel about the thing. And that's fine. Uh, so my, a answer to that question is sure. Engage with people on Reddit and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok. But don't do it in a coarse, brutish, I'm hanging out in the back of the bar uh, around the pool tables. I hope somebody bumps into me kind of way. <laughs> that's going to get you nowhere. Right. So don't engage with people in a way that's going to make things worse. And that means you need to understand what things can, that, you could, that you do could make things worse. How, and if you can get people in person in some way, if you can replicate what happens around a campfire, at a bar, at a dinner, uh, at a, like a dinner party, at a standing outside uh, vaping or smoking a cigarette or whatever you do when you stand outside. Like if you can get into that, that, that weird dorm room kind of thing, if you can get it into that thing, which we actually evolved to do, which is the, 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 the way that human beings um, both construct and evaluate argumentation do that. That's where the magic happens. That's where people are much more likely to, if you do a good faith discussion in which you respect the other person, you have empathy for them, for how they arrived at their position, you build up rapport and you're open to changing your own mind. Then you can do the thing. Uh, if anyone's wondering what that looks like, have you like you've, we've all experienced this. I love when this happens. Like I, f- I felt, the, I remember this when I watched, uh, uh, I want to, I, I think it might've been Top Gun Maverick, but it was, we've all experienced this. You're watching a movie and you have with your friend or your partner and you're like, ah, I can't wait to talk about this because this is so good. This is so fucking cool. This is a, this is a really rad movie. I can't wait to tell them how much I like it and ask them what they think about it. Then you go outside and like, before you can say it, the other person is like, oh, that sucked. (laughs) You're like, oh no, you can feel your, you can feel like the molecules in your, in your, bloodstream like vibrate you're like oh no and you hear you might even hear them out first they're like because they start this and this and then then you're like well i liked it and then you say and then now you talk about what you liked about it they talk about what they didn't like about it and you'll feel yourself going well actually you're kind of right about that like maybe i didn't maybe it's not as good as i felt walking out of the theater but then they go, maybe it's not as bad as I felt walking out of the theater. And we will just naturally have one of these and we're built for it. We're set up for it. It's now that same conversation over on, uh, Zack Snyder, uh, subreddit. (laughs) Not as good, not as productive, not not as good. Usually (laughs) you mentioned the importance of building that rapport and, uh, like the deep canvassing people needing to be worried about or careful about like not making somebody feel like they're up to something and not immediately like making them defensive. It seems like that's extremely difficult because it it does 
often like sometimes I'll have conversations with people where I feel like they're up to something. And I'm sure I make mm -hmm. people feel that way without knowing it. If I'm, if I'm doing the same thing, how do you avoid that and like make it a little bit more smooth instead of it immediately making somebody defensive and feeling like this is a debate, like me versus you, my side versus yours. Yeah. It's the most important thing. This yeah. is why the rhetorical techniques that work are the ones that exit debate frame. Um, and no, I, I was on Gaslit Nation talking about this, where they were talking about mean uh, family members and toxic individuals. Uh, they referred to them as bullies. And anyone who, uh, you'll know this, uh, there are people who they can't wait to argue with you about a thing yeah. because what they want is to, they want to get you into a debate frame because they feel that they could win a debate. Yeah. And that's all they really want to do is they want to win a debate. And if they can get you in that debate frame, now you're kind of on their level as to what they, they feel that they can accomplish because they can bully you. They can aggress you. And uh, there are certain politicians uh, uh, in recent memory who that's their whole thing. Like they immediately call someone a name. They immediately attack their attack their character in a, in a very schoolyard kind of way. Yeah. So that person will then engage them on that level because on that level, they're pretty good at bullying. And by winning the bullying uh, exchange, it'll there'll be like a halo effect thing where people feel like they won the argument when in fact they didn't even have an argument. So people will love doing that and, so they, and people will do that innately without realizing that's what they're doing. And that's how you lose. Uh, if you're trying to, uh, let's use flat earthers because it's nice and neutral. If you get into a debate with a flat earther, you're very unlikely to change their mind about anything. Uh, so you have to exit debate frame. The way you exit debate frame is you get you get the other person's buy-in to go shoulder to shoulder with you instead of face to face. Like like we're instead of facing off in an argument, right. we switch to shoulder to shoulder because what you're trying to do is create a third object in the conversation that we're both going to talk about. So that way you're not my opponent and I'm not your opponent. We have this third thing that is the disagreement that is our opponent or a shared goal that we're trying to accomplish. And the fact that it's hard to get to it is the opponent. Or we have a, a shared problem we're trying to solve. And the fact that we haven't gotten to the solution is the opponent. This is the core to all of these things that work really well, including hostage negotiation. The and to get to that buy-in, I have to build rapport with you. And to build rapport with you, I need to communicate certain things, either explicitly or contextually, and uh, or you know implicitly. So the the first thing you need to have to communicate is, hey, I'm a social primate, you're a social primate, I I am trustworthy, and I trust you, and your reputation is not at stake here, your status is not at stake here. Just trying to solve an issue trying to get to a goal with you. I'd love to collaborate with you on that. And you, you ask for that sort of buy-in. There's a, there's a thousand different ways you can do that. You should use natural language. You can say what mm -hmm. I just said, uh, if you are, if you feel, if you want to get down to the bare bones, but it's better to like say it conversationally. Yeah. And the, and you also have to be honest about that. You have to actually want that. You can't be up to something or it won't work. You have to authentically honestly actually want those things that I just described. If you are, if you don't feel that way, you have to say it out loud. You have to be transparent. 
If you transparently want to change a person's mind for a particular reason, because as earlier we discussed, by now hopefully you have a sort of a good idea of why you want this, you have to mm -hmm. say that out loud. With deep canvassing, they want to change people's mind about, uh, when I was hanging out with them, they wanted to change their mind about LGBTQ uh, issues because they were biased. Uh, it, it took an outside party to show me that I hadn't really uh, acknowledged that because I was biased too. I wanted what they wanted, but I hadn't admitted it to myself. I just thought like anybody who's not a terrible person would want this. But they, they did like uh, uh, Dave Fleischer, who uh, was one of the major people in creating deep canvassing, he was totally open about it. He would be very transparent. I'm biased about this. I, I, I think that this should be legal or I, I think that this uh, is a bad law or this is a good law. And I think that because this is important to me as a, and he's a gay man. He's like, this is important to me as a gay man. This affects my life. This affects the lives of people I care about. That makes me biased about this. So he just says so out loud. Mm -hmm. He's like, I am up to something. I want to change your mind about this because it, this, that's what I'm up to right now. Would you be willing to have a conversation with me where that might happen? And then that person, they can, they can consent to something that has been transparently and authentically communicated to them. So you have to do that on whatever issue it is you're discussing. You have to be transparent, authentic, honest, and ask for consent. And then in that mode, shift to, would you be willing to discuss this in a way where we team up and we try to solve a mystery together? And the mystery is, isn't it strange that I respect you as a human being I think that you're, you seem reasonable and intelligent, yet you and I don't agree on this or we have different perspectives on this. I wonder why. And would you like to engage with me in a conversation where you might get a better idea of why that is? And then when a person consents to that, the, it makes the, that's, the rest of it is much easier and you're much more likely to actually succeed. And most yeah. of the work has already just been done because now we're out of debate. And once you're out of debate frame, fascinating things can happen. So yeah, yes. That is the hard part. That is the part that requires a, a you have to develop a new kind of charisma. You have to develop a, 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 a real authentic human uh, cognitive empathy experience. And for many people, this is something that's, uh, that's the part that's difficult to learn. That's the part that's difficult to add to your repertoire. Uh, but it's very, very learnable. And it also, in my opinion, and I'm biased about this, uh, I think it makes you a better person. Uh, it, it, you'll find that you get, you apply this across the board. You'll, you apply this to your personal life and it makes holidays way different. I know that, uh, when I hang out with my, uh, family in, in a deep red part of the country and I come to them with some, sometimes some very challenging ideas, uh, I have a very different way of approaching them just in casual conversation than, than I did before, because this rapport thing is something you can apply to anything. It's really quite uh, marvelous. When I was reading the book and thinking about this, one of the things that stuck out to me that kind of worried me is that I I never use this kind of method on myself. And instead, I'm always like trying to change somebody else's mind about something that I fervently believe in, but I'm never actually like digging into it myself first to make sure I actually understand what I believe in why. Do, do you recommend starting there? And do you have any good ways <laughs> for kind of like figuring out for yourself instead of immediately jumping to trying to change someone else's mind. Dude, this is it. This is the most important thing. Like, I feel like, uh, there, I just gave a lecture at the university, uh, uh, Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. And, uh, uh, I, they had asked me to develop, I'd never had to ask 
answer this the, the way that I'm going to try to answer it with you, which is there, there are three gigantic pillars I feel are important right now. Thanks to the, uh, the massive shifts. And it, it, I, I, I find it very peculiar. We keep saying thanks to social media and thanks to the internet. Even that's been around for long enough now that sure. it's like, uh, somebody in the 1990s talking about like, thanks to television, thanks to the VCR, you know, the, it's, it's been part of life long enough. Now we can stop pretending that it's uh, new. It's just life now, but it is true that we, unfortunately we still live in a lot of institutions, uh, both abstract and concrete that operate as if they're in an era before the internet, before social media, before smartphones. And that's why it still comes up as a friction point for all of us. And the, the, we finally are at a stage where these institutions are breaking down because they haven't adapted and we have to either build new institutions or those institutions have to massively adapt. You're seeing it all over the place, higher education, uh, uh, commerce, uh, politics, uh, you just, our institutions have reached that point where they're straining because they they're trying to operate in the 21st century using 19th and 20th century models. Yeah. And that's led to a massive amount of epistemic chaos because we're in an information ecosystem that doesn't play well with these old ways of, of operating. And there are three pillars, I believe that are, I hope, I hope there are three. I remember the part where there are three pillars before I remember what the pillars are, but if I, let me try to remember what they are, which is, Number one of them is media literacy. Uh, you can't operate as a regular old person in this world without media literacy. Uh, used to, you could, there were three channels and six newspapers, and you could trust that those were professional institutions that, that vetted themselves and had checks and balances. Now there are a million ways to get your information, and you have to be a, great at media literacy. You have to know that's a good source of information, and you have to have ways of determining uh, if those are they're, they're engaging in journalism in a way that you appreciate or they're an academic institution. So you need media literacy. It's a whole thing. Look it up. Go to Wikipedia first or ask chat GPT about it. And then uh, you need to have uh, critical thinking skills. That used to be a thing that was just for a privileged few. Uh, it used to be a thing like we'll let the philosophers do that and then we'll just Take whatever they hand over to us. We all have to have these skills now. You're going to have to put on your toga and have powerful critical thinking skills to operate in this world. Uh, if you're watching a TikTok that tells you Popeye was based off a real dude and it shows you a picture of the guy and you're like, wow, I didn't know that. You have failed at critical thinking skills. Uh, that, that, who knows if that's true? You don't know if that, this TikTok person knows is telling you that. They may have done a, some real lazy research. You need... So you need media literacy and you need critical thinking skills. And then the third thing is the, is the answer to your question. Yes, it is fundamental to being a modern human being that you have to have intellectual humility, it, which is ask yourself, am I, am I right about that? <laughs> and here's, here's the, here's the, Will Storr gave me this as a, as a, as a way to, uh, to introduce yourself to intellectual humility. Um, two, two part question. One is, um, Ask yourself, and this is especially if it's something you care about, like you can narrow this down to one topic, uh, uh, but you can also think about it broadly about everything, which is, do you think that you are right about everything? And so we can do that broadly, which is just everything, donuts, 
pa painting walls, uh, uh, toe fungus, all of it. You could do that. Or we could pick one very specific thing, Zack Snyder movies. Uh, we could uh, <laughs> we could say uh, uh, Wi-Fi routers, something like that. Um, so question one, do you think you're right about everything? And usually people will say no. Hopefully you say you say no. If you do think you're right about everything, wow, uh, what are you doing? Your, your talents are being wasted where, wherever you are. Like you should run for president. Um, the so let's say you answered no uh no i'm not right about everything okay so question two what are you wrong about and that's that should make you feel weird the because you can't if you can't like you can't answer it if you if you knew what you were wrong about you instantly become not wrong about it uh or you instantly become aware of the wrongness in a way that uh you, you puts you on a path of like, well, I need, I should, I should do something about that. So if you are, if you are, if you admit that you must be wrong about some things, uh, what are you doing about this in your daily life? Like, do you have a method for determining, uh, how you're wrong and then determining what is the correct or, or what, like, do you have an epistemology in place for dealing with your wrongness? And if not, why not? Why does this not matter to you? And especially if it's something you care about, something you're going to vote about, like, wouldn't you like to be right about those things? Wouldn't you not like to be wrong when you make the choices that will affect your loved ones and your, like, the outcome of your entire life? So this is a huge thing. Intellectual humility is that. And especially if you're thinking about getting into an argument with somebody, let's pick flat earth. It's my favorite neutral topic. It's easier to, it's the, than picking something one. that's politically charged. Yeah. Uh, okay. You're like, yeah, I do you think you're right about everything when it comes to the roundness of the planet? Um, like everything, like every little thing, uh, like that's even, I assure you, if I was to ask like a geologist or an astrophysicist, this question, they would tell you, Oh, I'm very aware of massive amounts of ignorance on this topic, which is astonishing. It should be like, I like click. We took a picture of it. Look at it. It's round the, but there's a billion little nuances to this, thing and you're going to uh you should be aware of the things you do and don't know about this topic the things you have a high level of understanding low levels of understanding uh get a real clear picture of your your ignorance on the issue and then do whatever it feels comfortable to to correct that before you walk up to another person and say nah -uh, earth is round and there, and what are you going to how are you going to discuss the issue at any depth outside of i saw the picture because because they're you know, the person who doesn't believe the earth is round, they think that that picture is uh, fake. And I mean, I can use uh, AI right now to make some amazing uh, fake images. So w what's the science? How do you get that? Like, I'm pretty sure even though I, 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 even though you're very, you can be very confident that the earth is round, uh, you may not have you, you've probably not done any actual hardcore science in this regard. And I doubt you've actually been in a spacecraft to, to look at it with your own eyes. And uh, I, I pretty sure you don't know the, 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 the deep physics and math involved in how objects in space become round and uh, models of gravitation and orbit. Like admit that to yourself, have intellectual humility on the issue before you decide to engage in the discussion, because what this gives you as a gift is understanding that this probably isn't the domain 
and this isn't the space in which you're having the, the disagreement or the discussion. Because with flat earthers, what usually is motivating them is a deep distrust of the government. They they have a they have problems. They have an anxiety about the military industrial complex, and they've found a way to discuss that or a way to manifest it in conversation, which is uh, NASA went to space and they they're one of their narratives is that they get up there and they're like oh earth is flat and the well well that doesn't suit our ends so we have to convince everybody that it's not and that's a way to tell a story about how the government and the military industrial complex of any uh government often gets up to some weird stuff like that where they they will mess with um the narrative that gets delivered to the public about certain issues they will um, massage the truth. It, there is a history of this all throughout, you know, going back to the Roman Empire and beyond that the people in power do sometimes get up to some weird things. And people whose lives have been affected in that way, uh, or people who have an anxiety that gets that, that gets directed into this place, um, that this is a way to discuss it. There's a way to feel it. And that's what you're actually if you were going to have a discussion with a person who's a flat earther, that's where you should be having the discussion is in that space. And there's probably a lot of overlap there. Like you probably have some things that you are uh, worried about that the government is up to. It may not be this uh, sort of space race stuff, but it might be about how um, housing prices, or it may be about uh, uh, social issues, uh, the border, uh, immigration, uh, the, the, cop city in atlanta that is you know there's there's all sorts of things that you could find overlap on this oh i too often wonder if um i'm voting against my best interests i too often wonder if i'm being properly represented by by the people that are in office right now there that's where you could have a discussion with a flat earther and all of a sudden you're aligned on certain things you have certain similar values and you get there by, and one of the pathways of getting there is having intellectual humility about the topic about that you're about to discuss, and the they and encouraging it in the other person too, because in these methods in the book, that's a big part of it. Like, uh, how confident are you that you're correct on the scale from one to ten? How did you arrive at that level? What's encouraging you to feel that level of certainty or confidence? And you're encouraging intellectual humility in the other person. You can do that to yourself, like a. Uh, let's uh, I'll, I'll I'll wrap up this long answer with we could think of a model for the like a like a topic for that like uh, um, let's if well with the Earth is the Earth is this is very simple like okay you believe the Earth is round where are you at on a scale one to ten on that you may be a nine eight nine or ten then you ask yourself you're asking yourself this like okay why am I not higher or why am I uh, not lower and then what reasons do I have to hold this level of certainty. And then what methods am I using to to uh, vet that as a good reason to have that level of certainty? And I know if I do that for myself, I'll start revealing, oh, I have a high level of trust for certain academic domains. I have a high level of trust for certain scientific uh, elites. And okay, well, why, why do I have that trust? And now we're in a really interesting space because we're discussing trust. Where do I place my trust? And it turns out that if I was talking to a flat earther, usually that's what comes out in the end. That's where our actual disagreement is. I trust these people. You don't trust these people. And so why, why, and then why do I trust these people? And why do you not? And now we're having a completely new 
shoulder to shoulder question solving a mystery that will help me be a uh, a person that is able to approach this better because I have a better understanding of well, wait why do I <laughs> should I trust these people is that okay and that's the value of going in with this first and applying it on yourself yeah so what are you up to now and um where, where can people find your work online okay so I'm working on a new book uh cool. are you still with me Jake yeah wait did I cut out cool okay. your, your video cut out but it's, it's just doing that thing where it's it kills the video before it kills the audio okay um uh you want to continue answering or do you want me to wait no i'm i'm good go ahead cool uh i'm currently working on you might be able to see i've got a enormous number of books over here on the i'm writing a book now about what does the word genius actually mean which seems like a silly question but it turns out it's mm. a humongous question to ask uh, yeah. uh about anything <laughs> like what does x mean really and so that's gotten me i'm all over i'm flying all over the world answering that question right now and that'll be a book that'll come out uh either late next year or the year after and uh i'm still making a podcast and i'm still going all over the world talking about how minds change um i'll be doing all sorts of strange stuff in the next year like uh, going to several legislature uh bodies in the united states and i'm working with the department of wildlife fisheries and parks uh all sorts of fun adventures helping people be better at talking to other people about topics that are difficult um you can find me at davidmccraney.com and you are not so smart.com and all my social media is at david mccraney for the most part and uh the podcast that i do all the time is you are not so smart cool well, uh thanks for coming coming on david is um this, this one was a pleasure so thanks a lot i really appreciate it yeah, thanks for letting me just go on and on and on forever about all sorts of stuff. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you.